Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, March 7th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Uh, things are going well, um, Graham. Personally, obviously, we're, we're still in the mix of the dreadful um, situation in Europe. But yeah, no, things are well. Yeah, I would say the same. Um, yeah, it's just been really sad to see what's happening in Ukraine. Hopefully, um, you know, we'll see as the days go by. Hopefully there'll be some resolution or at least some ceasefire. It would be nice to see. Um, what about in the business school universe? This is, I mean, we're still in interview season. Yeah, we're, we're, we're still in interview season. We're sort of getting toward the end of it. Next, this upcoming week, we actually have a couple of schools releasing decisions. So um, Carnegie Mellon Tepper, is first out of the gate on the U.S. side. Wow. And um, INSEAD is also um, releasing decisions later this week. So the following week, so in a couple of weeks, it's just going to be mayhem. So, <laughs> so this upcoming week's a little teaser for, for what to expect. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think... Um, I love it when, you know, when we get into these decision weeks, as we call them, and we'll have to, we might have to get on Clubhouse and, and do something one of those weeks to sort of celebrate what hopefully will be good news for many of our listeners. Um, so yeah, definitely good stuff. I want to put you on the spot and ask you a question going back to the conflict in Europe. I want to ask you, what do you think are any ramifications for our industry? Like, do you think that um, will this do anything to MBA applications? I mean, it, you know, there are... And I have a number of thoughts in my head, but I, I don't know. I'm just kind of wondering if you have any ideas on what this might do, because I feel like it could, you know, there could be some um, impact on the economy globally, obviously, from this um, conflict. So what's your take? Yeah, I think the, the global economy is going to go into a tailspin Yeah. until things have gotten a little bit more certain in terms of what the future holds, because right now there's no certainty in anything. Yeah. It seems to me we're dealing with an irrational situation situation that um that that is horrifying so 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 yeah the economy is going to be uh, bite hard um and yeah other other things to consider i i hadn't really thought it through but certainly on the economy side things are going to get a lot worse before they before they turn around in my book yeah and i guess you know ordinarily we say well down economy means um increased application volume to business schools but you know it's weird the job market's been so tight and or you know so hot these days that you know we're hearing stories of people getting big bonuses not to go off to school and so I, yeah so i don't know what'll happen it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out for you know those of you tuning in who are thinking of applying next fall or something to go the following fall so we'll, we'll keep an eye on it um i know this year has been a little bit of a down year for application volume so we'll see what happens next year but um, yeah, so in any event, it's so it's definitely it sounds like if Carnegie Mellon and others are going to start coming in with decisions, then we really are hitting maybe the tail end of, you know, interview season. I did want to just remind people that, you know, it'd be great if you could uh, leave an interview report after you've had your interview. It's a nice way to give back to the Clear Admit community and to all those candidates who are going to come, um, you know, in your footsteps next season. So please post an interview report if you can. Um, Alex, over on the website, we've been doing a lot of stuff, and I know we're going to talk about something very special today, but before we do that, I just wanted to mention that we posted a couple more Real Humans alumni stories, and this um, this past week, we did a like someone who works at Google, um, and she did her MBA at Kellogg. She actually did an MBA slash MS. It's in a kind of a MS degree in design and innovation that Kellogg offers in conjunction with the MBA, and graduated in 21, so a recent grad working at Google. 
So that was kind of an interesting story. And then the other person that we profiled is a graduate of Georgetown McDonough, class of 2019, who works at the Boston Consulting Group. And what's interesting about this guy is that you know, he's been there a couple of years now. So it's really interesting to see, you know, the, the sort of progression. And, you know, I, I just think it's always, it's, I, I love this series because sometimes we get the perspective of someone who's just landed in a role and they know a lot about the recruiting process. And then other times we get folks who are maybe a couple of years out of business school and who have some perspective and, and have really seen how the MBA, you know, pays off in terms of using the, the tools that they've picked up in, in class and everything. So the, the, the George, Georgetown alum, which office is he working at with, with BCG, do you know? Uh, I, you know what? I can't remember. I feel like maybe it was, well, I have to go back. And I think I've closed that window on my screen. But you know, I'll, I'll dig it up as we're talking. But he... Yeah, I just, want, I just wondered whether it was government work in Washington, D.C. Because that's what you sort of associate maybe um, top programs in, in, in the D.C. area with. Mm-hmm. So if it's out in, let's say, San Francisco or, or whatever, that would be quite interesting. Yeah, I don't remember where he is, but I do remember one tidbit about this guy that you're going to love um, is that he literally was a professional soccer player in the in the in MLS. So I guess that's the American League, which I know you would say is maybe Is that a professional league? <laughs> I knew you were going to go that there. was a retirement league. Yeah, no, anyway, he played soccer professionally in the United States. Huh. Um you know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I just thought you would appreciate that. Yeah, um, no, yeah, brilliant, he did, brilliant. yeah, very interesting profile. And then he went off to business school and then he, um, yeah, I guess he started as a consultant at BCG and now he's a project leader, but I, I gotta, I'll try and find what office he's in. I can't remember where. So in any event, um, those are fun stories to read about, especially if you're, you know, now you've been accepted to school, you're starting to really think about how, what the outcomes are. Um, so speaking of outcomes though, Alex, we finally introduced our new series on the website, which is um, we're, we're calling Top MBA Career Placement Outcomes. It's a whole series of articles and content that co-founder of ClearAdmit, Elliot Ingram, has been working on for the last several weeks. Um, and I don't know if you, if you have any thoughts on this. We ran a couple of the first two articles um, in the series, which focused on regional placement coming out of the, what is it, the top 28 U.S. MBA programs. But any thoughts you want to share on the series or these articles in particular? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited. This series is going to be ongoing for the next several weeks. So we've got a lot of articles sort of queued up to, well, not actually finished, otherwise we'd publish them all now, but, you know, in the pipeline to, to, to get out there. Yeah. And, you know, each of the articles, I think, does contain one or two real interesting nuggets of insight. I mean, right now we're focused on regional placement and, you know, just just looking at the graph that shows the number of seats available in top programs in, in on the West Coast versus the number of folks that um, work on the West Coast post-MBA, to me, is very illuminating. And you see that the West Coast and the Northeast are the two regions that are you know, they're, they're sort of 50-50, well, they're, they're, they're even mm-hmm. in terms of their percentages, right? Mm-hmm. And I would speculate, although we don't know this, so we didn't include it in, a, in, in our analysis, that if you'd have taken this um, graph, let's say, 20 years ago, um, the Midwest would have been much better represented and the West Coast would have been much less represented. So yeah. I, I, I'm assuming there's been a big shift as, as sort of, um, you know, the tech scene has become super important and sort of, yeah, and media and entertainment and, and sort of at the cost potentially of sort of 
uh, CPG sort of manufacturing and, and other sort of things. Because historically, I assume the reason why we have outstanding MBA programs in the Midwest was because there was a a, a big gravity of employment mm-hmm. um, for top MBA candidates in the Midwest. I assume maybe McKinsey still headquartered there or something, but but it, it's just super interesting to see um, the you know this sort of in 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 graph form. So what we're used to seeing is you know each individual school telling us geographically the spread. What what Elliot's been able to do is sort of combine all that data across all top schools and then analyze it, which, yeah, I love it. And it'll get really interesting when we do it by industry and <laughs> yeah. just so on and so forth. Yeah. In fact, this week, um, we're going to run out a couple of additional pieces in this content series. And I believe one of them is going to be about finance. And yeah. I don't want to, no spoilers here, but there's some really interesting data in the finance yeah. placements um, from yeah. banking to private equity, all that stuff. So yeah, stay tuned. It's been really um, great to, to see the fruits of all the labor that's gone into this project. So stay tuned on that front. Speaking of placements though, Alex, we did run an individual uh, story about USC Marshall's uh, stats that just came out. And, you know, as you'd expect, um, 94% of their students had a job within three months. That's like a tiny bit shy of the 96% we see at some other schools, but, you know, clearly a great number. Uh, 130000 was the starting average salary for graduates from USC in the class of 21. And the average signing bonus uh, was $29,000. So, again, numbers pretty much in line with what you would expect. Uh, in terms of industry placements, I'll start there. Um, 29% go into tech. Uh, let's see, 20% into financial services and 18% into consulting. The media, entertainment, and interactive gaming segment, uh, they placed 13% of their students into that space. And then CPG uh, was 7%. So those are kind of the top five uh, industry placements. When it comes to geography, 84% of the graduating class from USC landed on the West Coast. And, you know, everything else is just sort of crumbs, right? 6% to the Northeast, 3% Southwest, 2% Midwest, 2% South, and 1% to the Mid-Atlantic. So any thoughts on that stuff, Alex? Yeah, I mean, you just proved what we just said in terms of Marshall, 84% <laughs> um, to, 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 to the West Coast. I love the, 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 the did you say 13% media and entertainment and interactive gaming? I, yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, that that label wasn't even attached to an MBA graduate. And right. we know that there's more money in interactive gaming now than there is in film and music and so on and so forth. So what an, what an emerging opportunity for top MBAs that are interested in that sort of media and entertainment space. Yep. It's got to be super fascinating. I mean, we don't even have to think about Metaverse to know that <laughs> this stuff is really fast moving and super, super interesting. Yeah. And I actually saw, uh, just this past week that, what is it? Epic games who are the makers of Fortnite, um, and some other, you know, well-known, uh, interactive video games, uh, and who are famous for being in some kind of a dispute with Apple, I guess, but I yeah. saw that they purchased Bandcamp, which I don't know if you know Bandcamp, but it's sort of the main hub for musicians, um, where you can post your music and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, but it's socialized in the sense that you follow different bands and like different bands. And so I just thought it was interesting to see that, you know, marriage, it really, you know, cause video gaming is so interactive now. And, and, you know, I think 
um, yeah, it's just fascinating because Bandcamp has you, you, a, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can watch a, a concert on Fortnite. Yes, I believe you can. That's right. <laughs> that is, that is a metaverse. Yeah example in practice i mean yeah. there, there, there's been some sort of high profile examples of that but in terms of band camp is panama on band camp yeah my so my yeah panama is my band and the the music you hear at the opening of the podcast is panama yeah and, it, and we have a band camp page too um uh-huh. but yeah so but it's it's interesting because Bandcamp's whole setup is to pay artists a lot more than um, they're used to getting from, say, Spotify or something. So um, so anyway, it's just an interesting development. And I do think, you know, we often talk about, oh, you go to a school in L.A., like USC, good for media entertainment or interactive gaming. And it's definitely true. I mean, that 13% figure is probably might be the high watermark or close to it for, you know, that segment of placement across top business schools. So very good stuff there. Are there any top MBA programs in, in Scandinavia? Because they've got a really strong culture for the gaming industry yeah i well i mean that's I mean, where spotify is right i mean you have copenhagen business school in denmark yeah um that's yeah. the only one that really comes to mind um yeah I, I mean there must be a school or two in you know sweden or somewhere but i i'm not sure actually yeah. so yeah. um in any event uh moving right along we've got uh nothing in the mailbag i was a little sad we didn't get any emails or or reviews that i could read so um and it's been a while so if people get a chance write a review over on apple podcasts or at least rate the show if you're listening on spotify um, we always appreciate that stuff and and you can send us emails at info at cleareadmit.com um, Alex, I don't have anything else this week. I think we can get into the candidates if you're ready. <laughs> I, I think you need to check the listener stats. Maybe no one's listening and that's why we're not getting no, any I mean, mail. Back. So I did see recently, like we, oddly enough, we have a lot of listeners, like people are, there are more people listening now than there were, you know, a few months ago. So wow. it's, it's growing, but, um, but they're not leaving us reviews. So whatever that, you know, I don't know what that says, <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, all right. So, uh, let's get into the wiretaps portion, shall we? Very good. Let's kick on. All right, so this is apply wire or sorry, wiretaps candidate number one. So this is an apply wire entry, um, and it comes from someone who has six schools on their target list. They're looking to start school um, next fall, so they're going to apply in in the coming months here, well over the summer, I guess, and then they'll go to school in the fall of 23. They've got Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago, and Wharton on the list. So it's, uh, I guess we could call that the M6, so just Stanford is not, <laughs> is not there. Um, they have been working in manufacturing slash engineering um, prior to business school. They uh, have five years or will have had five years of work experience by the time they matriculate. They want to switch out into consulting and they'd love to go work at Bain, BCG, or McKinsey. Their GMAT score is a 700, GPA is a 3.6. And again, to date, they've had three and a half years of work, but they point out they'll have five by the time they matriculate. Um, They mentioned that the short-term goal being consulting, but that there's a long-term plan, which is corporate strategy or operations. Uh, That's, you know, they're they're international. Um, They live in, I guess they are from West Africa, but currently working and living in the U.S. for a Fortune 200 manufacturing company. They have a number of extracurricular activities, most of which seem to be if not all, seem to be through their company. Um, but, you know, they include sort of soccer mentoring and coaching, um, as well as doing some recruiting for their company at different schools. So, and they mentioned they do have some direct reports at work. So Alex, anything you want to add or what, what do you make of this candidacy? Because they're clearly aiming for the best of the best in the U.S. Um, yeah, any thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you said they got 700 on the GMAT. The other piece of that um, is they've taken the GMAT three times. Right. Um, so, so they really are reticent to, 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 to take the, the test again, which is a bit of a problem um, in as much as this could be a very good candidate. They are aiming at M7, right? There's not one program on their list out of, outside of that tier, um, as it were. Um, so, you know, even though that they've taken the GMAT three times, if they retook it and improved it by 10 points or 20 points, that has impact in my book, i.e. a 710 or a 720 versus a 700, much like a 700 over a 690. It's like if you can just squeeze the lemon just a little bit more, um, that might actually have impact because, again, they're, they're targeting very, you know, very top schools. Now, do, do folks get into these top schools with a 700 GMAT? Absolutely. I'm not denying that at all. They'll get it. You know, there'll be a few people in the class in, 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 in these top programs with a 650 GMAT. But, you know, they, the, the other elements of their profile will be absolutely outstanding across the board. With this candidate, other elements of, of, of their profile, there's a, potentially a lot to like here. They're from West Africa. They've got good work experience, I assume, in the United States. Hopefully they can show impact at work and so forth. Their GPA looks strong um, at a 3.6, so I think that's going to um, play well with, with the ADCOM. Um, I'm a little less crazy about their extracurriculars in terms of it does look like it's it's all sort of you know, through 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 their company and so forth. So it doesn't seem to be sort of self-motivated extracurriculars as much. Um, so so I'm not sure. I'm not dismissing the extracurriculars, but I don't know that they're necessarily outstanding. Um, they play soccer, that's fine, um, and, and, and so forth. And, and really what w- would be good about this candidate is if their long-term goal, I understand their short-term goal, they want to go into consulting, that sort of helps sort of finish them up a little bit. You know, some folks you think of consulting after the MBA is more like a finishing school type process. Right. And, but then the long-term goal, what I'd love to see is that this person is planning to go to back to West Africa and has a, has a really sort of good thought in terms of how they're going to make significant impact in the long run, rather than just being another exceptional candidate that stays in the States. Yeah. Um, you know, competing with lots of other exceptional candidates doing interesting things in the States. If you actually go back to West Africa, your opportunity for impact is going to be significantly higher. So that's, yeah, that's a little bit about my thought and why I really do. Well, there's two things. One is, yes, take the G-Man again. <laughs> if you can get that 710, celebrate it, but also really think long and hard about those long-term goals. Yeah, I would say because it's March right now and yeah. they're not applying I mean, there are no deadlines until September for these top schools, unless, you know, I don't know if they're going to apply to, you know, Columbia or something early, uh, you know, early decision or, but I don't even, you know, anyway, that aside, they have time. And I, I wonder if they really feel like, gee, it's the verbal, you know, where they're right now, they're at the 80th percentile with the verbal and 74th math. And I know that the math is technically lower than the verbal, but it's actually hard to move the math up. I mean, the math is, um, you go from like 74 to like, I think it goes right up to 80 something just for getting one more question. Cause it's so, uh, 
It's just the curve has been kind of blown in, in the GMAT quantitative section, whereas verbal, it sounds like there's still some room. And I was saying to you earlier, you know, wow, if they could just get up to the 90th percentile in verbal, that would do wonders for their overall score. So I was going to say, you know, just get a tutor for the verbal section or something, or, you know, it might really pay off in the long run, not only in terms of where they get in, but there could be some scholarship dollars yeah. that, um, you know, kind of are on the line as well. And I agree with you. Goals need some refining. I'd love to know more about the long term. I would like to know more about what they're doing right now, because maybe the long term goal could dovetail with that. Like maybe they have a you know deep experience in a specific sector that would relate to a long term goal, and maybe they could bring that expertise or some element back to West Africa. Um, so I, I agree with you on all counts there, and you know I think um, I was kind of curious to know where they went to undergrad, like if they went to undergrad in the U.S. or um, or back in in Africa. That that would be good to know. And, you know, just to understand like, well, what, where did, you know, what caliber of institution did they attend as an undergraduate? But I think, you know, the good news here is it's early and they have a lot of time. The work experience seems solid. I I think they could take the extracurriculars and write about them in ways that might um, help them jump off the page a bit more. But I do agree with you. It's like, oh, if everything's through work, it sort of feels like they're ticking a box. And so it'd be good to know that if they are mentoring soccer via a kind of work sponsored um, activity, it'd be good to know that like all their life, they've been doing stuff like that, um, with soccer, you know, so that it feels consistent and not just like, okay, I had to sign up for three activities at work that, you know, make me well-rounded or something. Yeah. So I think, you know, our, so our, it sounds like our advice is work on your goals, reconsider another sitting of the GMAT if you can, uh, and, you know, just, yeah, make sure you're continuing to shine at work and, and you know, push those extracurriculars or, or think about ways to take the ECs even outside of the office um, or outside of the office kind of related um, or sponsored, you know, activities. But yeah. again, I want to thank that person for posting. Yeah, j- just a couple of quick extra points there, Graham. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. One, one is the 700 might be good enough. I'm just saying, you know, if you can squeeze the extra 10 points, that actually might make a, a, a big difference. Yeah. Um, so so, um, so, just wanted to be clear on that. But secondly, also, again, they've targeted only M7 programs. Our advice might also be um, spread your risk a little bit and seek out one or two programs outside of that top tier um, to, to sort of, um, you know, if, if it's important to get, to, to get admitted to the MBA this upcoming season, then they, they should probably be looking at into that tier of sort of Hass, Yale and, and Tuck and maybe even down through to sort of, you know, Ross. I mean, Ross might be a great opportunity for this person, but sort yeah. of Ross, Darden, Duke, um, Cornell and, 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 you know, Stern and, and those types of programs. Yeah, that's actually really good advice. I hadn't thought about the fact that, yeah, they may, depending on, I mean, I think it's always high risk to only apply M7, yeah. right? So... Um, unless they're prepared to wait another year if, if yeah. they get rejected. But I, I would advise them, absolutely. There there are a couple of schools in that next group of, you know, non-M7 that are really good at getting those MBB placements. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they could be fine. So good advice. Um, let's move on and talk about our next candidate, which is Wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry, but it's from someone, Alex, who is thinking of applying right now, kind of in round three, and they've listed three target schools. They've got Cornell, Indiana Kelly, and UNC, Keenan Flagler. Uh, They've been working in biotech, or they did work in biotech for two and a half years, and then left that and have been working in the service industry as an event management role 
for two years. So um, they want to get into pharma after business school. GPA is a 7.4 out of 10. This candidate is, as you might be able to tell from the GPA, located in India, where the scale is out of 10. Um, they've had you know, five years of work experience in total. Um, they'd love to land in New York or Boston. And they indicate in their post that they're looking to connect with people who've applied and experienced the process for a GRE test waiver at these specific universities. And just to remind us, Cornell, UNC, and Indiana. Uh, and they, they wrote, it would be really helpful if you guys could help me out as I'm looking to apply in round three and how to approach this aspect of it would be great. Thanks in advance. So, Alex, I know you have a strong point of view on this candidate, but what, what's your take? What, what, what do you want us to learn from this one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reason why I picked this um, candidate, well, one, they responded on ApplyWire, so, 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 so that's all, always very good in the comments. But, but I mean, there are, there are some basic strikes against this candidacy right from the, the get-go, which is unfortunate, right? Um, they're, they're planning to apply in round three, but it looks like they're coming from an overrepresented sort of population in terms of the applicant pool. Um, so they're going to be very challenged to, to get admissions in round three, as they would have done actually in round two. This type of candidate really needs to be targeting the first rounds. Um, on top of that, they're, they're coming at the, the process seeking out a, a, a test waiver. Um, so, so that's limiting the, the admissions committee on, on data points that they can use to assess the candidacy and really limiting the candidate's opportunity to really shine in the process. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's kind of a little bit of a double whammy, which is going to make round three very difficult. Sort of on top of that, their work experience, it starts off in biotech for two and a half years, and then they move to the service industry for the next two years. So I'm guessing that move was predicated or, or triggered with the COVID-19 pandemic um, or, 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 or similar. Their goal is get the MBA and get into pharmaceuticals. So, so it seems like they're trying to navigate back to um, their, their more original sort of career path. So I'm thinking that basically... It's a last-minute decision on their part to try to apply to round three. They, they're they like, you know what, I want to apply now because I need to get back into something that, that's interesting to me and get out of what I'm doing. But honestly, Graham, they're going to, in, in my book, they need to wait it out. They need to get that test score as high as they possibly can, do as much as they can between now and application to show that they're engaged, their impact, and so on and so forth and wait until the first rounds of next season. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, obviously the test waiver movement was sort of, uh, you know, came out of COVID where for a time it was really difficult to have access to take the test and schools kind of relaxed their standards. Um, there's since been a bit of a movement about assessing whether these tests are really valuable or not. And that's a whole, you know, we could have a whole episode on that. But I will say, I don't think when anyone wrote this stuff up at, at the three schools on their list that they were thinking, we want to admit more overrepresented candidates with no test scores. Yeah. I just think, you know, that's, it is what it is. But it's, you know, if you're coming from India overrepresented, you need, as you said, every data point possible that you can marshal to make your case because you're facing very stiff competition. So I agree. I don't like the idea of a last minute application. We don't know this candidate's personal situation. I mean, maybe they were laid off or think they might be and they're trying to get into school. But I still say um, they're going to be better served applying early. 
uh, round one, you know, this coming cycle and, and by taking the GRE or the GMAT um, before, you know, b before the application season really heats up here. So, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I had the same concern as you. It's sort of like biotech for two and a half years and then the service industry, it doesn't really, there's something that doesn't add up to me. And so I would love to know more about what happened and uh, because the the fact that their goals are in pharma make you think, well, why didn't they stay in biotech? So right. there's some question marks. And I think all this adds up to just, it's sounding like not a great idea to apply in the late rounds. I know schools are a little short on application volume this year, and maybe they would grant a waiver and take a look at this app. But I, I don't know, I'd be surprised if the person makes it through. Um, do you think they should, do you think that there's any benefit in them just throwing a Hail Mary and seeing what happens and then using that as a, a springboard for a round one app? Or do you think it could just be bad? <laughs> well, I mean, they could possibly do do that. And there might be a school that's, like you say, that their apps are down. So they're going to reach a bit more aggressively. I think my answer to all that, though, is if they can wait till round one, of, of next season they'll have better opportunities yeah. than they'll have in round three of this season for sure like by 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 a country mile especially if they do really well on the test score yeah so that's the key i mean yeah i mean they, they there will be a school that will admit them i don't know if it's any of these three they've listed because these three are all still very good schools but there will be a school that will admit them if they if they desperately want to go in round three yeah um or, or, or this next season but their opportunities will be much better round one and next season yeah agreed all right well i want to thank that person for posting you know hopefully our advice while it may not be what they want to hear hopefully it isn't you know constructive and, and helps them to kind of take the next step um let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number three so as we've done the last several weeks, Alex, you've picked out a decision wire entry. It's an undecided candidate who applied to a number of schools. They applied to Chicago, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, and Yale. And they've ended up with uh, admits to Columbia, uh, to Cornell, where they actually were awarded the Park Fellowship, which for those of you who are not aware is a fairly prestigious uh, scholarship that involves uh, full tuition. So I think it's like $150,000 scholarship. And then they're, I believe, on the wait list at MIT Sloan. So maybe we'll put that one aside for the moment um, since, you know, they currently really just have the two offers. For those of you keeping score at home, they worked, uh, they, sorry, they have a 730 on the GMAT and they want to work in consulting at Bain, BCG, or McKinsey. They're located in New York. And they did leave us a note in which they indicated that they're just looking for perspective. You know, they have this big scholarship at Cornell and no money from Columbia. And they're just wondering, like, does a named scholarship like the Park Fellowship hold any water? You know, like, is there any benefit to that, having that on your resume? And they mentioned, look, I know CBS is higher ranked, but I'm wondering if the scholarship could influence employers due to the risk that, you know, they're going to have obviously less debt. And so they're, they're looking for potential reasons to um, consider Cornell here. So what would you do if you were in this candidate's shoes? Yeah, I mean, again, this is a classic sort of case that you get a really good scholarship at a, from a school that's in a lower tier than the school that you get a straight admit with no money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that that again proves to me that the, the tier system that we've sort of adopted um, stands up to scrutiny. Um, so 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 it's not surprising. And the reason why I picked this post is because 
Elliot and a couple of uh, other folks from, from the community weighed in with some really, really good insights in terms of how to make this decision and what to think about. I mean, one of the things they've got to think about is just their overall fit. You know, do they want to be in Columbia, in, in New York City? Um, and, and all the advantages of, of that experience, or do they want to be in Ithaca um, in, in, in a very different type of sort of environment, which has its advantages too. So, you know, for me personally, I'd much rather be in Ithaca, but, you know, <laughs> I, I'm never a big city person, right? So, right. So, so, so that has to be considered. In the very short term, coming out of the MBA, yes, does the Park Fellowship help them a little bit in recruiting? One of the one of the, the posters on, on Decision Wire made a very good case of actually it could do um, in terms of when you're answering the question, why did you chose, choose to go to Johnson? You know, the response is, well, I, I was able to get this prestigious um, scholarship only offered to X percent. It allowed me to make this choice over other programs that might have been um, considered better. So, so there's a there's a narrative that you can play in that maybe that first position coming out of um, the MBA that that works well. Um, but I would wonder later in your career whether you can still lean back to the Park Fellowship and whether the Columbia network kicks in and becomes more of a, a critical factor versus the Johnson network. Um, so I would factor that element in a little bit two in terms of their overall calculus. Um, but, but to me, Graham, again, it's just the classic decision. There's no right answer here, no wrong answer. It's yeah. about the individual's capacity for taking on debt, their risk adversity, um, and it's about a number of other factors. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think uh, on some levels, a free ride at Cornell, I think, you know, it starts to become a compelling, you know, you can make the argument, right, with, with respect to you know, yes, Columbia is the higher ranked school, but it, Cornell's free in this case, uh, effectively. And so you start to get into, so that, so what I would argue is then you get into the fit and where they want to be. And you were, you know, very accurately pointing out, you know, you, you know, you like being off in the middle, of, <laughs> uh, in the less populated areas. And so, you know, Cornell has that kind of nice, close knit, small, um, community vibe. Um, but you know, Columbia has the hustle and bustle of New York and a brand new campus that's coming online. I believe it's already open actually now. And, and so the, there are all these different factors, but I think it's a personal decision. If I were this candidate, I would not worry about, um, I, I don't think they're making a wrong decision. Like if they were to go to Cornell for the Park Fellowship, no one, I, I think you'd have a hard time telling them, oh, that's, you made the absolute wrong decision. Yeah. I mean, I think given that they want to work in consulting now, if they said that they wanted to do, um, you know, asset management or value investing or something, you know, then I don't know. I mean, it starts to get a little tighter, although Cornell's got a pretty renowned finance faculty too. So it, it just, I, I think they just need to figure out where they would be happiest. As we know, Graham, Cornell's finance faculty is more geared investment banking. Right, exactly. So, we know and that, that's right? Big, and yes, you, we do. Everyone else will know that next week. Yes, that's right. So I think um, it is interesting. It's a great quandary. And I, yeah, I just keep coming back to the idea that they really need to think about fit because I, no one could fault them for going either way here. I just, yeah, they got it. They're not the same programs. They're really different and they need to decide where they want to be. 
Uh, are you worried at all about, you know, I mean, obviously people often say, oh, we'll go to an M7 to work at McKinsey, Bain or BCG. But, but we know, you know, the, the, the next batch of schools are also placing people there. And, and I would think if you have a park fellowship, you have a little bit of a leg up on the competition to get a, get a job at MBB coming out of Cornell. But that's my view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you got to think about it. I mean, according to the numbers produced by Elliot and other folks in in this conversation, you, your opportunity to to get into MBB um, from Cornell is quite apparent, mm-hmm. as as it is obviously from Columbia, mm-hmm. um, even a bit more so at Columbia for sure. Yeah. But if you also factor in that, you know, at Cornell, you're 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 the big fish in the pond. Yeah. Um, versus at Columbia, you're one of the many fish seeking that those same opportunities. You you might even argue you got to, you got to yeah you got. I I don't think access to MBB becomes the one differentiating factor here. I think yeah. it's accessible for this candidate particularly at both schools. Yeah, and that's why I would just go back in some to the idea that they just need to figure out where they would be happiest because I don't think they can go wrong. And these are both excellent schools great facilities. Um, you know, it just, they're different though. So they need to figure that piece out and, and follow, follow their heart. Um, it is two years of your life that you're going to spend, <laughs> spend somewhere. Uh, and it, are, are they know, in that new building in or new location, yeah, Columbia I, yet? I believe that, um, I think that they are, I believe that right after the holiday break, they, okay. yeah, I believe they're using the new facilities now. So yeah, yeah it should be great because that has been a bit of a bane for Colombia in the last few years. So, yes, so once they're in that gone. new facility, that does change the, the, the dynamic there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, Columbia was sort of one of the last top MBA programs to build brand new, amazing facilities. You know, obviously Wharton did it. Harvard has fantastic facilities. The other schools, Kellogg, MIT, they all introduced new buildings, Booth, in the last, you know, let's say 15, 20 years. Mm. And Columbia was the last one to do it. And they, and they just have done it. And it, I think it's stunning. And they're, it's probably a great um, experience. And yeah, they used to have some crowding problems on campus in the old space at Columbia, and that's gone. So yeah, that puts them on, you know, even better footing as they, you know, <laughs> compete with other programs. So any event, um, congratulations to this person. It's a no, no small feat to secure that fellowship and to get accepted to Columbia. And, and, you know, we didn't talk about the MIT wait list, but I think it's going to, in the end, probably just come down to Columbia or, or Cornell. Yeah. Um, but in any event, uh, yeah, best of luck to them. And thanks for posting Alex. Uh, we've done it. Uh, we've gone through our candidates this week. We'll come back next week and do it again. And hopefully we'll have slightly better news on the Ukraine, Ukraine front. Um, but yeah, thanks for all the work you do on this and a lot of fun going through these candidates. Very good. Thanks, Graham. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.